So this evening is actually part two of a three-part series on the Eightfold Path. And so last Thursday I talked about the first part of the path. So this evening we'll continue on from there. But before I do, I'd like to go back just for a little while to review what I talked about uh, last week in case you weren't there to give you some context for this week. So um, one of the things that I shared last week was how the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, which the Eightfold Path is a part of, these two lists are basically representatives of the essence of all of the Buddha's teachings. And the Buddha taught a lot. (laughs) So that's saying something. So the Four Noble Truths being that uh, the truth of, of suffering, that there is uh, this unsatisfactoriness that we live with often. There's this uh, wanting to make things other than they are. Not coming to terms with the reality of things. I talk about it in terms of friction, the experience of friction in our life, coming up against what is naturally occurring. Uh, This is dukkha. This is suffering, unsatisfactoriness, stress, the first noble truth. It's not that all of life is dukkha. It's just that there's this truth that we have to come to face with if we want to fully understand things as they are. And that is that there is dukkha and that we are producing most of our dukkha. We are responsible for that dukkha. <laughs> and the second noble truth is that there's, there's uh, a cause to this dukkha. And then it goes on to say, uh, there's freedom from this dukkha. And then lastly, that there's a path that leads to the end of suffering. There's a way. There's actually somewhat of an instruction manual. Haven't we been longing for that (laughs) our entire lives? Just tell me how to do this. And so the Buddha laid out this this path, this, this instruction on how to relieve ourselves, how to free ourselves from the grasp of clinging and friction, from our suffering. There is a way out. And it's right here, and it's within each of us if we're paying attention. And so the Eightfold Path is that instruction manual. And so the first part of the path, if we're going through it, it's eight parts in a, in a numeric order. The first part uh, being wise view or right view, right um, understanding, which is basically uh, the understanding that there is suffering, there is a cause, and there's freedom of, from that. Uh, and then there's the second uh, which is um, wise intention, 
to hold the intention to live in a way that is in alignment with the truth of things, to have the intention to live uh, with the purpose for awakening, to be free from the suffering. And we can structure that in different ways. So for some of us on this path right now, it's just we're looking for and having the intention for less stress in our life right now or just a little bit more happiness in our life right now. For some of us, uh, we have experienced a lot of dukkha and we're here because we need to be here. We are tired of it and we are ready (laughs) to be done with it. And so we are on this path for freedom. That's what we're looking for. So people are here for different reasons, and this path offers uh, release, release and relief for both. So those first two, uh, we talked about last week how this Eightfold Path can be structured in many different ways. So it has its uh, numeric order, um, which I'll just rattle it off here. Again, last week I, I said, you, know, you can Google this and see it, <laughs> so don't worry about memorizing it right now. Um, but if you're interested, actually, rem- memorizing this is very helpful. This is, this is quintessential teaching of the Buddha, if this is something you're wanting to know. So it's the Eightfold Path. And so the, the numeric order is uh, wise uh, view, wise intention, and this is uh, kind of the wisdom section of the path, panya in Pali, wisdom. And then it goes on to uh, uh, the sila section of the path, which is sila meaning um, virtue or harmony, to be in harmony with. Uh, so this is wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. And then the final section of the path being uh, wise concentration or samadhi. Um, and this is, in some ways, the, the meditation practice of the path. So this is wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. Actually, the, um, we'll be going into that last piece on uh, Sunday during the, the, day, the morning of practice that Ernie was talking about that we're doing here. Um, it's really just a half day. We've been calling it a day long, but it's just a half day. We're going to end at one. But during that period between nine and one, we'll be focusing on the refinements of this last part of the path. So that is the third part of the series. And so um, these are the three parts of the path, and that is the, the numeric linear order. And we talked about how that order changes up. And I think my understanding, um, just experientially and also from uh, the teachings of the Buddha, it seems to be that when we first start, that linear order is really helpful. It's in a specific order for a reason. One really helps to clarify and cultivate the next. But as you go through this Uh, practice and you start to ripen as a practitioner, the order in some ways seems to change. And so those three parts I talked about end up being reordered 
you know, as if it was not confusing enough. <laughs> Keeps you on your toes. So it actually goes sila, the sila part, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, this is the virtue part, harmony piece. Uh, sila samadhi, which is the concentration or the practice piece of the path, which will be on Sunday. And then panya, wisdom. And I think that this ordering of the path um, is really quite interesting in that instead of starting with the practice of, of meditation or even coming in with the understanding of view and intention, that it's actually starting with this section that has to do with wise speech, action, and livelihood. It's a... Uh, seen as the purification part of the path, that we're purifying our mind and our heart through these practices of sila. So I'm going to come back to that in just a moment and why uh, this section of the path is so often a part that, that, does, that does come first, or you could even see it as a foundation for the other pieces. Uh, now, as linear... And, um, yeah, well, as linear as the, the path seems, you have these eight uh, pieces to it, and then we've got it in these sections, and it it's, might seem kind of um, intellectual in this way. I assure you that all of this is not about intellectually understanding. This path is about dropping into a cellular knowing of how things are and how to be in the world about how to practice in a way that cultivates wisdom and compassion, about how to be in uh, relationship with each other, be a part of community, of sangha, in a way that reflects harmony, in a way that is cellularly knowing the Four Noble Truths and the truths of, um, of freedom, how to, be, uh, how to become free. And so it's not an intellectual exercise. This is an experiential, um, even more than experiential, it's a deep knowing that we start to cultivate and come in contact with. And so we'll be playing around with that a little bit uh, this evening, making it more experiential than me talking to you this evening. In fact, this path is so nonlinear that the way that I really understand it is not so much one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or even in the sections. But as uh, my own personal practice has developed, I see it more as this uh, tight rope that is woven together with these strands, each one being a section of the path. And they all have to come together, and they all have to be uh, woven together in order to create the strength of that, that rope or the strength of our understanding of our wisdom. And so it's not like we just concentrate on one and fully develop in, in that one part of the path. What I find is that they, they intertwine. They inform each other. We can't talk about one section and not be talking about the whole path. And so, for me, that's more realistic in terms of how to understand the Eightfold Path and its depth. So, this 
this piece of the path, the sila part of the path. Um, Often it's translated to virtue, the virtue side of the path, wise speech, how we, how we communicate with each other, wise action, and wise livelihood, how we um, make our way in the world. Uh, more direct, my understanding that more directly the translation is closer to harmony, to be in harmony with to be in harmony with the way things are, uh, to be more in harmony with each other, to be more in harmony with all the experiences that show up. Let's say just in that last 40-minute meditation, you know, we're all sitting here quietly, and from the outside, it looks pretty good. (laughs) But from the inside, it can be a whole other story, can't it? And so all sorts of visitors come in. We have different types of thoughts. We have different kinds of body sensation, um, different experiences of the senses. So much happens within just 40 minutes. And so how do we stay in harmony with that? Not trying to push away experience or trying to create or make a specific experience or hang on to an experience because it feels so good. And that's what we usually do. That's usually our default. I guess the other option is to try and just be oblivious uh, to what's going on, just kind of ignore it, um, to be in delusion. And so we're always in this push and pull and cloudy, uncertainty, unknowing space unless we are aware, unless we have these awake moments. And so we can actually feel the difference of disharmony, even within our body. When we have this experience of sitting here, for example, and you have a pain in your knee, and all that comes from that pain in your knee, it can be quite extraordinary. Not only is there the physical sensation of the pain in the knee, But there's the mental relationship too, right? So there's the thoughts that begin to form of, oh, I'll just sit here and not move. That will make me more of a meditator. Or, okay, I'm moving so much and everybody's noticing me. (laughs) I'm that person. Oh, my God. When is she going to ring the bell? Or, you know, oh, that pain is back. It's going to always be there. This is it. This is the pain in my knee that I'll always have. And so you can see how we create something uh, much larger and actually much more dramatic than, than it probably is, which is just that your knee is in a position that it doesn't really like right now. Um, and then, of course, there's chronic pain, and that's a little bit different. But even that, if we can look at the fact that there's the pain or the sensation, and then there's this other experience, our relationship with that experience... Are we pushing that experience away? Are we trying to slash it up and get rid of it? Are we in total delusion that it's there? Or is it this really wonderful experience? We're having this fantastic meditation and we're all blissed out and the body feels good and the mind's really quiet and that thought comes in, oh, I hope it lasts. (laughs) And of course, the minute we have that thought, (laughs) the thoughts keep, keep going, right? 
And so we start strategizing on how can I make it like this every single time? Well, what did I do this time? I sat in this way and I sat on this side of the room. That's good. And we start to lose, actually, our contact with the moment because we're strategizing on how to be in the moment. And that's, that's actually really painful when we think about it, how much we are ruled by this push and pull and delusion states. And we operate in this way most of the time. It's just how we've learned to do it. It's not because we're bad or that there's something really wrong with us. It's just how we know how to do things. That's what we've been taught. and It's what our mind likes to do. We just haven't trained our minds. And so this practice of sila, of coming in harmony with how things really are, to instead of push-pull or be oblivious, instead we are becoming conscious of these parts of ourselves. This practice is a courageous practice. I love to remind people that. This is a courageous practice. It takes courage because what you're being asked to do is actually turn towards the experience that you're having in this moment, no matter what it is. And you're asked to see it for what it is, not to put Band-Aids over it, not to throw on rosy-colored glasses, but to really see it for what it is. And to, in some ways, even befriend that experience. The practice of metta which is the Pali word for friendliness or loving-kindness, is the practice of befriending not only ourselves and others, but the experience in the moment. How do we do that? And how does it work when we do that when we, do, when we have the capacity, as we are practicing this and building our capacity to do so, turning towards our experience, being in relationship with it, staying with it, really getting to know it, befriending it, how does that change our uh, relationships with, with ourself entirely? How do we end up changing the way we see ourselves? our view of what we are. How does it change our intentions? What do we end up valuing and put to the forefront of our intention on how we want to live and what we want to cultivate when we truly are seeing how things are? It's different. It changes. It changes us. This practice changes us in a really good way. Even though sometimes I... I, I find, I've, I have found this for myself and also in working with um, practitioners that often we come to this place in the path where we're seeing so much and we just wish we could close that door because <laughs> it's sometimes, you know, there is a lot of dukkha there or there's a part of ourselves that we wish we didn't have to look at, you know, that part that we keep hidden, the part that we don't really want to see or want other people to see. And yet this practice is saying, oh yeah, that too. That too needs to be seen. 
we need to know all of these parts of ourselves in a very gentle way, might I add, with this um, uh, quality of metta, of friendliness, of loving kindness, but seeing it all the same. And so it takes a lot of courage to do this practice. This piece of the practice that is uh, the sila part of the path, when we start to bring attention to our speech, action, and livelihood, uh, I feel like it breaks down barriers in a way that nothing else has that I've encountered. So um, actually, uh, a a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching uh, the family retreat at Spirit Rock. Liz was there. And uh, it was wonderful. It's a very different retreat from our usual uh, silent retreat. You know, there's chalk art in the art tent, and there's water world and basketball and... Um, a lot of music and a lot of movement, but also a lot of deep practice. And it's, uh, it was a full house with families, kids and parents, grandparents. And the theme this year was metta, was loving kindness. And the way that we structured it was the first day was metta for self. So we cultivate this kindness towards ourself. And we looked at that uh, through our um, intentions, our speech, and our actions. And then we did the same thing, but metta for, for other the next day. Our intentions, our speech, and our actions. And then the last day was metta for we. And metta for we is you could say, in a simplistic way, the combination of self and other. But actually, it's something much more than that. Metta for we is almost saying there is no us and other. It's just we. Not seeing the separation between ourselves and others. And to me, this is the essence of sila the essence of harmlessness, of harmony, being in harmony, really seeing the truth of of the we, that it's we. This, This whole thing is the story of we. This life is about the story of we. So often we think it's the story of me or I. (laughs) We operate from that point of view most of the time, don't we? And this is saying something completely different, really radical, actually, that this is actually about the story of we. And we begin to come in contact with that, with the practice of sila. And so as we cultivate, cultivate the practice of wise speech, that we are um, cultivating not only so that uh, as we start to see all the things that we want to say and do say um, and start to really reflect on 
what is wise speech? What is speech that's in alignment with harmony, alignment with uh, a deeper understanding of how things are? That practice uh, starts with the, with the me, with the I, cultivating it for ourselves so that you know, it has an effect on, on ourself. When we say things that are untrue, that, you know, if we lie, if we are gossipy, if we say something that's really mean and harsh, um, if we're just idle, you know, the the last one is idle chatter, if we're just chat, 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 chat to the point where we're not really saying anything of substance, we're just blah, 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 blah. This has a toll on us. All of these ways of speech, which is, would be considered unwise, all of these ways have uh, an effect on our mind and on our heart and even on our body sometimes because it throws us out of harmony. We're no longer in harmony. And so we start with the me, and it turns to we as we deepen this practice. We start to see that the way that we are in the world affects others. It has a ripple effect. And the way that we are with others not only affects others, but then it comes back to us. And so there's this cycle that does not include a me and a you. We just end up being part of a cycle of being, being together that has an effect on all of our minds, on our hearts, and on our bodies. It has ultimately an effect on our path to awakening. As Gandhi's famous saying, be the change you wish to see in the world, I feel like that's what he's touching upon. He's touching upon the we. If we want a certain... uh, element of peacefulness, of harmony, of kindness and care and compassion and wisdom in the world, then we have to see that we aren't separate from it. There is no I, there's no separation, that we are intricately a part of that. And so this is the power of sila and the practice of sila. And then, of course, the same goes with action. So in the practice of uh, on Buddhism, we often take precepts, uh, especially if you go on, receipt, on retreat, and the precepts are a way of really minding our actions and staying within, within harmony with not only ourselves and our own integrity, but also with with the we, being part of the community that we're practicing with. And so if we are uh, committing acts that are, are violent and harmful towards others, and I include living beings in this, it's not just, the we does not just include humans. Uh, we is a part of all living beings. We, the earth is a part of we. We are knowing this on a deeper level than we ever have, having to come face-to-face with that dukkha and reality, that because we've been out of harmony and have been separate, considering ourselves separate, we are now reaping the consequences, aren't we? 
And so the we includes all things. And so if we are destroying life, uh, this isn't wise action. That isn't, it's not in harmony. Um, if we're taking what's not given to us, then we're not in harmony. If we are uh, using our um, uh, speech to manipulate and to lie and to be harmful to each other, uh, we're not in harmony. Even in the precepts, it includes our sexual power. When we misuse that in some way, we're not in harmony with ourselves or with the we. And so uh, this practice of sila, it's not, it's not about having a moral obligation. It's about being connected with the sense of a connectedness which can lead to a, a larger awakening, not just our own, but more of a, a we awakening, if you will. Livelihood in the suttas, talks, the Buddha talks about um, our livelihood needs to come by legal means. Um, it needs to be in alignment with peacefulness, cultivating peacefulness in the world. It needs to be without coercion or violence. It needs to be honest and without deceit. It needs to be without causing harm and suffering to others. And so it allows us, when we hear this, to really reflect on what how am I making my livelihood? It's not about creating mounds of guilt, but to start to discern with wisdom, what am I putting in the world? What is the change that I wish to see, and am I actually a part of that? Or am I a part of something else? Am I actually in harmony with the we? So this is a purification practice, the sila practice, because it does call for us to come into contact with the parts of ourselves that are not in harmony. Now, as a culture, and I know that there's lots of different cultures in this room, so I'm saying this in a very generic way. As a culture, perhaps a human culture, when we see these parts of ourselves that are not in harmony and we're asked to really look at it and reflect on it, a lot of the times we throw up our, our guard and we are um, automatically resistant to it. We don't want to see these parts of ourselves. It gives us an image of ourselves that maybe doesn't fit the image that we want. Um, it's these shadowy parts of ourselves that we uh, not only do we not want to see, but we certainly don't want anyone else to know about. But the truth is that we will always be enslaved by those parts of ourselves and by our lack of harmony, by our disconnect with how things really are. 
unless we take a good, close look and start to get to know them and start to change them. When we see them, then there's hope. When we get to know them, there's a possibility for change. If we ignore them and pretend they're not there, then they just stay and they don't change and they entrap us. Our intentions end up being born from them accidentally. We don't even mean for it to happen. It just happens. Our intentions become born out of hatred and greed and delusion instead of this wisdom, compassion, and harmony. And so we have a choice in the matter once we start to see what's actually there. We actually do end up having the choice to see it and not follow it, to actually refrain from speaking and acting in ways that are harmful to ourselves and others. So this is good news. It's not that glum, actually. Um, It's great news. And so there's a number of ways for us to do this. It's really, it's fine to talk about it in this way, right? So I could sit up here and, and just go on and on and on about it. But um, I think what is more helpful is for us to actually have some practice with it. So what do we do when we are in contact with that person who just drives us crazy (laughs) or pushes that particular button? And one moment you are mindful and so compassionate, and then that person comes up and goes, ugh. The next thing you know, you're, ugh. You're saying that thing that you'd wish you hadn't said, and it's thrown you off, and they're ruining your meditation, and da-da-da-da-da. So how do you work with that? Or that situation that you find yourself in that just you have no patience for? And it shouldn't be this way. And you start with the shoulds. You're shooting all over the place. <laughs> well, What do you do in that moment? So this is what I propose. I'd like us to practice uh, how to be in presence. And this is, of course, um, uh, not out in, in the traffic and in the long line or in front of that particular person. So we're kind of like in a laboratory doing this. But I want to give you a sense of how this practice works. And actually, you'll see how these eight parts of the path intertwine as we're, we're doing this. So what I'd like you to do, um, if you will, is to stand up. And if you'd like, you can hold on to the back of a chair or go to the wall and put a hand to the wall. If standing is uh, difficult for you for physical reasons, please stay seated. It's just fine. You can do it seated, too. What I find is that a lot of the times, this is the posture we're in when we're in action and even in in communication uh, with others. So one thing I didn't say that I meant to say early on was that this sila practice, not only is it the practice of being in harmony with, but it's also a relational practice. All of these parts, uh, wise speech, wise action, and livelihood is 
really our practice coming into contact with other people. Those are all pretty hard to practice when we are uh, perhaps secluded in a room in, in silence without any contact with others. Um, you won't come up against it quite as much. But when you're you know, out on Shattuck and you're, you're walking back and forth on Shattuck, you have a lot more opportunity for this. So this is relational practice. And we start first, very simply, by bringing our attention into the body. Bringing your attention to your feet on the ground. You might even feel your hands either up against your legs or just hanging here. And feel the weight of your body. Feel yourself here. Feel your breath. Feel what it's like to be present. Maybe some of you even noticed a shift. A shift from your attention being out here, maybe in front of you, or maybe you were off in la-la land thinking about something else, and then I said, bring your attention to your feet. And it's a different feeling to become present, to become embodied. And it's from this place that it helps us so much to become aware of What's going on inside here? What's driving right now? What's at the root of my intentions for speaking and acting in this moment? Is it uh, discomfort in my body that's driving right now? Is it certain flavors of thought that's driving right now? Is it this emotion that's driving right now? So it allows us to have all this information. So it's one thing to be present without someone in front of you. It's another when you're face-to-face with another person. So what I'd like you to do is, if you will, is turn towards somebody near you and stand face-to-face. You don't have to look at them yet, you know, in the face, but um, (laughs) this doesn't have to be an eye-gazing thing yet. (laughs) But just choose somebody next to you. Raise your hand if you need a partner. Up, right back here. Maybe come this way. Yeah. And again, if your partner needs to sit, then you can both sit down. That's okay. Anybody else need a partner? Maybe we can make a group of three. Why don't you join? Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay. So then what I'd like you to do now is feel your feet on the ground. Notice how you're feeling. Now something's changed. Now you're in front of somebody else. So perhaps there's all sorts of thoughts that are bubbling up or anticipation or an awkwardness or excitement. Who knows? But it becomes a little more complicated, right? Our, pr- our presence already might be challenged. Maybe not. Maybe not for everyone. So now I'd like you to look at the person in front of you. And you don't have to look right in their eyes if that's too much. You can look at them, their forehead or their nose or their shoulder or look at their feet <laughs> if you need to. It's just fine. But in some way, just taking them in as this other human being. And as you do this, I want you to notice what happens to your presence. What happens to your, your mindfulness? 
Are you still in your body? Are you completely out of it? Are you conscious of the person across from you at all? Or are you so involved in what's going on internally that you're having a hard time connecting? There's no um, failing this, by the way. It's just however you are is how you are. It's all information. We're just seeing what's happening. You're welcome to close your eyes at any moment if you just need a break. And then let them open when you're ready. You can take in this person. Okay. Wonderful. So now we'll take a moment. Go ahead and and meet the person across from you, especially if you don't know them. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead and meet the person across from you. Okay, so notice, maybe you know the person next to you who's across from you, um, and that can bring in its own thoughts and emotions doing an activity like that. Maybe you know them and you don't want them to judge you or whatever, or maybe you did not know them and that brings in its own uh, thoughts and emotions. And then you got to know them, or you got to break that awkward silence, if it was awkward for you, or that wonderful silence of just being with the other person. And you got to say hi. And so take a moment to reflect on what happens when we then connect with our voices. Some of us are much more comfortable with that than with the presence of just being with each other. And yet that being with each other is really important that ability to stay present within yourself and with the other person. So I'd love to hear, maybe just a couple of you, let's hear what, what happened uh, during that. And we'll, we have a mic that we'll use so everyone can hear you. Thanks, Jaime. Will you run it? Thank you. Yeah. What was that like? What did you notice? Oh, Great. I discovered we have something in common. We both have the same name, but that wasn't <laughs> really it. We we like to giggle. <laughs> uh-huh. And <laughs> so, so there was a connection. <laughs> sweet. Yeah, sweet. So you felt that connection. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Yeah, what else was felt? It's intimate when you stare into someone's eyes and with consistency. Yeah, it is intimate. And not, a, not something we often do with the people and around it's us. Hard. It's hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did we have another hand? There's one in the back there, Jaime. <laughs> Hi. Um, okay. 
you know, it was, it was funny because when my eyes were closed, you know, it wasn't like he was in front of me at all. You know, it was kind of like, like you said, your thoughts and your voices. And But as soon as we opened our eyes, you know, he said, well, you can look here, you can look there, you can look anywhere. And we just, you know, made eye contact. And it was, it was pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like all my thoughts went out. I didn't feel judged. I wasn't judging. And it was just, uh, I, I think we passed. <laughs> you think you passed. Gold star. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay, how about one more and then I have an, our next piece. I think we often feel unheard and unseen in the world. Mm. And um, I do this exercise with my students when I teach a leadership class nice. or an interpersonal class. Uh-huh. And they hate it. Yeah. The students hate it. And they, you know, because part of communicating and connecting is making that eye contact, mm-hmm. sustained eye contact. Mm-hmm. And I think what I felt, um, I haven't done this in a long time, of course, because I'm sitting on the other side, um, is that, you know, when you are being seen, um, there's this anxiety, this almost mm-hmm. this feeling of terror that you feel. Mm-hmm. And we did such a good job at sustaining uninterrupted eye contact, open eye contact, uh-huh. uh, my friend uh, here and I. And I felt that. I was very much present for that. And I mm-hmm. began to feel a little bit of the shaking in my feet. Because, mm-hmm. you know, here I am. I'm being seen, you yeah. know, unconditionally. And that's mm-hmm. a terrifying thing. Yeah, it can be. And it's different for different people. I'm glad that you said that because that's going to be really true for some. And for others, it's just, hey, (laughs) finally. (laughs) And it'll be a different experience, but at the same time, still most likely a vulnerability. So then what happens when we bring in speech? So here we are, we're practicing how do we stay connected to ourself, mindful with ourself, and aware of our interaction with another person. You know, it's kind of that pat your head and rub your stomach. I obviously can't do it. (laughs) It's difficult. It takes a little bit of training, but there's a way in which uh, we can be in our practice while in relationship with another person. It's not like the practice ends. In fact, it's so crucial with this practice of sila that we are conscious of what's going on in here, as well as conscious of the other person, so that there is this connection. It doesn't have to be always this deep connection with the other person, but, it, but some kind of contact that you are present. It can be just a gentle presence. And so how do we do this then when we are speaking with one another? And so what I'd like you to do is face your partner And um, in a moment, I'll tell you who will go first. And yeah, it works with the groups of three just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Go with your partner. One of you is going to start to speak about anything. It can be something that you did this summer. It could be something that's just on your mind today or something you did today. You know, use your judgment, be appropriate. But, you know, it can be just about anything. And um, it's nice if it's something that matters to you. But if you can't think of anything, it could just be what you had for dinner. It's just fine. The purpose is to see what is it like to speak, to be speaking, and to be still present with yourself and the other person. Is that a possibility? And then the listener 
to stay present with yourself as well as the person you're listening to. Now, before you start, I'm going to give you um, a strategy on how to do this or just how to see this. It's called the 50-50. And if you think of this uh, um, linear spectrum where uh, on one side of the spectrum, all of your awareness and attention is inward, and on the other side of the spectrum, all of your attention is outward, we often live in one of those two worlds, right? And see, what is it like to bring it more centered, where there's that attention on yourself and attention on the other person? And it's not going to stay 50-50. You'll watch it as it kind of moves back and forth. As you're thinking of a thought, it's going to come inward. And then as you say it, see if you can come more towards that middle. And as you're listening, you'll see how it might waver and come in and out where you'll be so engaged that you're, you're more on one side of the spectrum, really out of yourself. And then you can sometimes bring it all the way in on yourself while you're thinking about something else and not listening so well. And then you come back somewhere in the middle. Does that make sense? Yeah, we'll give it a try. It's an experiment. So what I'd like you to do is face your partner, again, or partners. The person who will be the speaker will be the person with the shortest hair. (laughs) Okay. But before you begin, before you begin... Before you begin, we're going to give ourselves uh, the opportunity to first ground. You know, we're, we're in practice mode, right? So let yourself feel your feet on the ground. Speaker, notice if you're already trying to figure out what you're going to say. Let it go. You know how to talk. It's okay. Feet, is on the, feet are on the ground. Feeling your breath. Open your eyes. Take in this other person. Notice where the attention is. Is there some range of that on that linear scale, on that spectrum? Can you bring it more towards the middle? And then, speaker, you can begin. I'll ring the bell to, to have you stop. Coming back to silence, bring your attention back to your feet, standing here, your breath. Take a moment to reflect on what happened to your presence. When you were speaking, was there any feeling of not being in harmony? What was at the root of what you said? Was there intention there that was somehow born of trying to be seen in a certain way or uh, to prove yourself in some way? Was it in harmony with just being? Being authentic, being here, just talking and sharing, connecting. Okay. We're going to switch roles now. So... 
noticed what that's like. <laughs> okay. You can open your eyes if you haven't already. Just take in the person across from you for a moment. And speaker can begin. Okay. Take your, bring your attention back inward, feeling your feet on the ground, feeling your breath. Take a moment to reflect. Just, all of this is just information. How does this work? How does this practice work when we are in relationship with another person? Communicating, acting, action, that's really what I meant. How does this work? Okay. So you can thank your partner and then come back to seating. And uh, maybe we can hear from, from one or two of you. Just um, what I'd like to hear is not actually how that was for you. Um, I would actually like to know that. But what I, with the time we have, um, how, does your, how does this work? How do you imagine your practice working in terms of wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. How are you seeing it connecting now? Or how are you hoping it will be uh, connected as you go back out? We can take a moment to think about that and hear from some of you. You Well, we do because we're we're recording it and not everyone uh, will be able to hear you very well. I, I think I was already sort of practicing this for a while now, and I noticed that I feel like out in public, people are very to themselves in their own worlds and very isolated. And just to counter that, I, I'm not attached to whatever outcome might come of this, but I always say hello to people, I always smile, always make eye contact. And I noticed that I either get a positive response or I get what I would call a fear-based response, which is avoidance and looking away or looking angry for some reason or like I in, invaded their space. But it's, it doesn't affect me negatively if someone responds that way because what I noticed is I'm not attached to the outcome. So I think that's the kind of like going with the theory, you know, not mm-hmm. to be attached to the outcome. It's just giving loving kindness to everybody. And maybe it affects someone in a way that they can't, express and then you know and that I won't know Mm -hmm. but it's just putting it out there like you said walking up and down the road or gas station or whatever just always emanating loving kindness I see you I love you Mm -hmm. and meaning it beautiful there's a lot of wisdom there Mm -hmm. um something just popped into my head listening to her her speak about the fear response and um, as she's talking about it, seeing it in others, I think this all has to do with what's inside you mm. and your own barriers of fear and being honest with yourself about that. And if you're honest with yourself about what you're fearing, then <clears throat> that wall's broken down and it's natural. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to think about it. It mm-hmm. just comes. Yeah, beautiful. 
Beautiful. Okay. Last one, and then we need to close. I, I just found that it was actually very energizing to mm-hmm. speak. Mm-hmm. I was really sleepy all this morning. <laughs> you know, and, you know, the expression, I mean, I know when I talked, I was out of my body, sort of. I was not so aware. Mm-hmm. But still, I felt afterwards very energi- energized. Oh, there you go. Oh, no. I, the, were you done saying what you wanted to say? Okay. Yeah. And so you notice the difference between, you know, it brought bringing yourself into the, into the body and that that actually brought some energy, and especially when you were able to, to speak from that place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So, this is a little bit of an unusual sila talk, <laughs> um, uh, but I hope that it was helpful in some way and that it's practical so that this is a practice that you can actually begin if you haven't already. Um, I will just say one last thing, and that is that if you're interested in this topic, um, I gave a talk, a talk on on Sila, uh, I think it was just last spring, that was much more of the traditional uh, talk on Sila. And so you might check that out if you want to hear more about what the Buddha said and um, its roots in in the tradition, which I didn't really deeply get into here. I touched upon it, um, certainly, but uh, uh, I believe the other talk goes even further into it. And hopefully this was just a little bit more on the practical side of how to use it. How do we start incorporating our practice to increase our awareness of what we say and act? Um, So we'll end there. We'll end with a dedication of merit. So in the... um, Using the essence of we, this idea of we... We see that this practice is not just for us, it is for the we. And so we dedicate this practice to, in our time here together, the cultivation that we've been doing here together, we dedicate it to all beings everywhere. May the ripple effects of our practice go outward in all directions and be for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be happy and content. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy from inner and outer harm. (laughs) May all beings uh, be free and at ease. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.